Welcome to The Paul List, a daily comics analysis podcast. I'm Paul, and every day I pick a comic book and I talk about it from a variety of analytical perspectives. Um, today is Tuesday, and on Tuesday we cover a trade paperback. Usually we'll talk about a book from a publisher like Image or Dark Horse or Boom uh, or Valiant, uh, but today our Tuesday trade paperback is actually coming from First to Second, and the book is The Shadow Hero. We've been focusing this week on the works of artist Sonny Liu, um, I should say artist and creator Sonny Liu, and um, today we're going to talk about the, the unique um, ability of his art to speak in a kind of voice that um, that is the voice of the, the great book, The Shadow Hero. Um, Shadow Hero came out in 2014 um, from first to second. It was written by Jean Luen Yang, and um, and Mr. Liu provided the the art for the book and um, won a bunch of awards. I always say a bunch of awards. That's my cover-up for not doing my research. Um, but um, got a lot of acknowledgement, and I, um, I followed the book as it came out. I think it was first released um, in a sort of um, unique single-issue format. I bought it on the... Uh, the Kindle <laughs> as it came out in five separate chapters and volumes and then when it was collected all together of course um, I got a ton of copies of the book too. Um, I, I probably don't need to describe for anybody who's listened to the podcast why the, the book was of such significance for me. Um, it was of significance for me because I am uh, Chinese American and um, the, ki- the main character is, is not, not only is the main character a Chinese American superhero, but the book was an effort by um, Mr. Yang and and also Mr. Liu um, to, in a sense, redress um, a, a kind of uh, oversight, you could say, um, where uh, the origin of the character is that um, way back in the 40s, uh, and this is all told in the back of the, the collected book, by the way, way back in the 40s, um, you know, in the, the quote-unquote golden age of comics, um, there were of course, you know, this, this mass proliferation of superheroes. And um, there was a, a cartoonist named Chu Hing. And he wanted to create a, a um, you know, a superhero. He was, he was uh, writing and drawing for this series called Blazing Comics. And, uh, and, and Chu Hing, you know, eventually did, you know, some work for Marvel and so forth, but basically forgotten and lost to comic book history. Well, when he was uh, making uh, making comics for Blazing Comics, he um, you know he he created this hero called the Green Turtle, and you know there's only sort of a few um, actually published scraps of of the Green Turtle, but the 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 Green Turtle was a hero who um, is you know costumed um, has a, a green mask and a green cape and is oddly shirtless. <laughs> and he's, um, you know, he's he's fighting to defend China, uh, which of course during World War II is is on the Allies' side against the Japanese army. Um, there's uh, this really interesting thing where um, you see uh, the Green Turtle in the in the comics, uh, which were actually which is actually reprinted in the back of the Shadow Hero volume from First Second, um, and you never see uh, the Green Turtle's face. And the reason for that is that um, Hing had originally imagined, envisioned, wanted, it seems, for the Green Turtle to be a Chinese uh, superhero. Um, however, it, uh, it was not endorsed, say, by the publisher. And so Hing's response um, was to go ahead and to tell the story of the Green Turtle, but to never have uh, a, an actual sort of 
drawing of his face so that who he was and what his uh, ethnic origin and identity w was were, were never revealed to the reader. Um, it's an interesting evasion to, um, <laughs> to have a Chinese hero uh, or a Chinese-American hero, whatever it may be, and to never show uh, his face. And I think it's a, it's a kind of um, it really interesting history, a really interesting backstory that um, I I've, think I've heard in interviews that, um, that Jin Yang discovered and, uh, and then decided as a project to go ahead and to resurrect and to tell the, the backstory as he envisioned it of, uh, of um, the, sh the uh, green turtle, uh, which is the shadow hero. Um, you can imagine that for a Chinese-American kid who um, you know, grew up in the United States reading superheroes and always looking for some reflection of his um, experiences and, and, and culture and history in superhero comics, um, that this kind of a story is, is really exciting and, and fascinating. Um, and so I was very excited to read The Shadow Hero. I was enormously proud as each installment came out of where the story was going and how it was unfolding. And I was also incredibly impressed with the art. Um, when they initially announced the book and, um, you know, Gene Yang wasn't going to be the artist on it, I was a little bit uh, dismayed since I really liked the style that he brought to um, American-born Chinese, for instance. Uh, then I saw the actual art, and I had saw, seen in some of the the, pre, the sort of previous to publication interviews, um, Gene Yang talking about what a great artist he had um, collaborated with on the book, and uh, I couldn't agree more. That was when I discovered Sunny Liu, um, was with the Shadow Hero. Um, so I've been focusing on and talking about um, the Shadow Hero, I mean, sorry, been focusing on and talking about Sunny Lou all week. And um, I, I should mention, and I do want to mention that um, Mr. Lou and I have had a little bit of um, a little bit of communication um, over social media. And um, he was kind enough to send me an advance of the book that I'm going to be talking about tomorrow in the Wednesday Wide World of Comics, which is The Art of Charlie Chan Hock Chai, which is a book that um, came out from Pantheon earlier this year. Um, I'm going to talk about it tomorrow. So if you haven't read it and you do want to be part of the conversation, I encourage you to pick it up. I'm going to get deep into spoiler territory tomorrow when I talk about Charlie Han Hock Chai and, and for that uh, Charlie Chan Hock Chai. And for that matter, I'm probably going to get into spoiler territory today with the Shadow Hero. So that's your uh, hopefully fair warning. Um, it's a great book. If you haven't read it, why haven't you read it yet? Um, but uh, as I said, I, I've had a little bit of correspondence with um, with Mr. Liu, and he's just been. Mm, about as kind a creator as you can imagine. I guess I'd put it this way. Um, having sent me in advance of, of his book, uh, I had planned to, and still hope to, <laughs> write um, a pretty extensive um, commentary piece about the book um, for one or another of the places where I occasionally write. Um, it never came to pass. Several drafts of it were written, and um, and the main reason was that at the same time that I was um, writing and, and as the book was coming out and if it w when you know when it would have been timed perfectly for the um, book and um, uh, uh, you know and a piece about it to, to come out uh, I was very wrapped up in my life with um, taking care of my mother I think I've mentioned on this podcast before that my mom is dealing with uh, chronic illness and um, <laughs> this is the kind of person that Sonny Lou is um, asking inquiring whether I'd had a chance to review the book um, I responded with my life circumstances. Um, since then, uh, Mr. Liu has uh, sort of 
every now and then checked in um, with me to see, you know, not whether or not I had produced that review of the book, <laughs> but but to ask how my mother was doing, um, to to uh, have a creator of um, you know sort of his accomplished. Uh, you know, stature, and with all that that Sonny Lou is doing in touring for his book, um, a book that is uh, just pretty remarkable, um, and I'm obviously looking forward to talking about it tomorrow, um, to have him check in with me regularly to see how my mother was doing <laughs> is, I think, an example of the kindness of, of, um, of a person like Sonny Lou. I have to say that I've heard a number of interviews with him. In fact, I often talk about how I am um, involved in some ways with the Comics Alternative, another podcast of the two guys with PhDs, um, Derek Parker Royal and Andy Kunkka. And um, a few times, a couple times actually in the last year, they've had um, Mr. Liu on for either an interview or um, playing a, uh, a a talk that he gave when he visited um, Dr. Uh, 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 Parker at uh, Dr. Royal, sorry, Derek Parker Royal at um, at UT, and um, in, in both of those occasions and in other interviews that I've read and heard, um, I am you know I find Sonny Liu just to be a, a very gracious and very thoughtful person, um, just as my interactions with him have demonstrated. Um, uh, I think that the the thing that I that strikes me is that. There, he, there's often times where it seems like his work um, speaks uh, powerfully for itself. And um, sometimes as interviewers, and I've been in the seat many times, we ask creators for their explanation of um, their own work. And uh, in, in some ways, I can imagine that if I were a um, creator, uh, I would probably respond that if it were as easy as um, just simply telling you, then I probably would have just told you rather than doing the work. <laughs> there are things that are hard uh, to put into words or that are uh, less artful once said directly um, and explicitly. And so um, Sonny Liu's the kind of person who one day, if he wrote a director's commentary or a, a marginalia for his own work, um, especially something like The Art of Charlie Chan, Hawk Chai, I would lap it up. I would buy it in an instant. Uh, I would be dying to know um, the thoughts and perspectives of such a, um, I mean, such a kind of thoughtful person. Um, but I, I don't know that he would ever uh, submit to that. <laughs> he seems to be the kind of artist who um, puts so much intention into his 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 creation, uh, into his art, that um, it, it really ought to um, stand on its own and speak for itself. Um, but, uh, you know, I say that because one of the, th the interesting things about listening to and reading about uh, Sonny Liu is how... Um, uh, he, in interviews, he comes across the way that I often, you know, feel like I should be coming across in interviews. And I'm not sure if that's because of the um, sort of uh, bland affinities in our cultural backgrounds, uh, which are different. Uh, he is Malaysian born. He, he, he um, resides in Singapore. He's educated in the UK and in the United States and um, sort of throughout the world. I mentioned on Monday that um, I feel like Dr. Fate is very cosmopolitan character and and um, 
Sonny Liu has a very cosmopolitan style. I would I would say that he is seems to have a very cosmopolitan upbringing as well. Um, and, and I am uh, a Chinese American, um, born in Taiwan and raised in the United States. And so um, we we have different backgrounds, but there's maybe some cultural affinities. And um, whatever there may be in those cultural affinities, maybe compels me to to say that I should speak less about myself. And defend uh, and and speak up for myself a little, and let um, my actions speak for themselves. And um, I think often that's how uh, uh, Mr. Liu comes across in his um, in his interviews, and um, and when people are uh, talking to him about his work. Um, but I, I also sometimes sense that um, well, I don't want to call anyone out, but but that um, interviewers are at um, pains to. Uh, to cover airtime and to not let silence uh, arise, and so they will tend to fill the air with um, their speech. And I am wanting sometimes in those conversations to hear more from from Mr. Liu, um, <laughs> who the interview is is about. Uh, I know the feeling, on like I said, on both ends of being an interviewer who talks too much. Hey, I'm a podcast that uh, that monologues. So um, when it comes to taking up airtime and swallowing up all the silences, I uh, know that feeling all too well. But also, I know the feeling occasionally of knowing that I'm supposed to be um, presenting something or describing something, and then to feel that the the discourse, the interaction is is unfolding in this way that I don't know if I'm supposed to get a word in. And in fact, I, I feel maybe safer letting others um, speak as much as they want <laughs> and to assert their voice and to uh, be content to sit back because um, I realize that fighting for airtime is... Um, I don't know, counter to some instinct, some cultural instinct in me. And um, and I, I want to talk about that a, a little bit. Um, uh, th- I feel a little bit like I'm airing a little bit of my own dirty laundry here, <laughs> maybe even my own cultural dirty laundry here. Um, my struggle with the feeling of, um, I don't know, silence, exclusion, erasure. Um, those are words that I, I'm thinking of. Uh, and, and, you know... Well, I, I guess to start off with, there's a, an aspect of, of art that comes from, uh, I'll say specifically, a Chinese-American uh, origin and voice. And, and by that, I'm really referring to um, somebody like Chu Hing, uh, somebody like Jean Luen Yang, that um, is a really, you know, there are times when Asian-American, Chinese-American artists... Um, assert with a great strength, a great roar, and other times when um, there's a more delicate dance. And I think that um, all of that is, uh, you know, it's artistic, it's aesthetic, it's also political. Um, in uh, a book by Peter Kwong and Dusanka Misevich, which is uh, called Chinese America, the Untold Story of America's Oldest New Community. In the introduction, they write that, um, uh, let me see if I can find the passage that I'm thinking of, and it, it says something about the tone, I'd say, of expressions of Chinese-American um, selfhood in the cultural sphere. It says that, uh, and they're writing more about historiography, but they're saying that um, the Chinese are often reduced to props in the battle over responsibility for the continued problems faced by African-Americans and in the debate over whether the American system works. Arguing against this line of reasoning is like getting involved in a family squabble between African Americans and whites. This perhaps explains why narratives about Chinese Americans 
uh, Chinese American experience all too often focus on one of two dominant themes. Victimization, with authors seeking redress for past injustices, or celebration of success, despite the hardships. The experience of the Chinese in America cannot be fully understood if presented from either of those two angles. The specificity of their racial and ethnic encounters in America, like those of, others, of other Asians, Latinos, and Native Americans, must not remain subsumed by the dominant black-white debate. Skipping down a paragraph. Um, this book, uh, and this being Chinese America, this book wants to break through the confines of such inadequate models, uh, such, the confines that such inadequate models have placed on the interpretation of the Chinese experience in America, and look at the people who came to the new world in, in the light of their ambitions, passions, conflicts, unique solutions, and all the roads they took or could not travel. It wants to understand their weaknesses and contradictions on their own terms, not judge them as victims or as failures of assimilation. It wants to present their experience in America as a function of their own motivations and objectives, not just within the parameters of what white America wanted of them and what it gave them. Um, and, you know, I read that because I think that there is a project in Chinese American representation um, and maybe to some extent in broader Asian American representation where um, fitting neatly and nicely into either a narrative of discrimination and victimhood or to one of success despite hardship, uh, a sense of being propped up as a model minority are sort of the, the um, Scylla and Charybdis of um, telling a story of a Chinese American or of an Asian American. And instead of being pigeonholed into one or another of those narratives, um, it's so vital for, um, for Chinese American uh, artistic expression and Chinese American storytelling to um, act against the acts of erasure and the acts of exclusion um, in you know, in the, um, in the, I think, very tricky domain of representing um, ourselves and our histories. In a sense, I think um, Chinese American art, Asian American art specifically, has a task of, you know, we talk a lot about representation. Uh, uh, I think for a Chinese American, the, the question is always, were you even there? You know, <laughs> when we're talking about the, um, the period after the gold rush, were, were you even part of the history? Um, uh, you know, pre-World pre War II era, w w were, were Chinese Americans even relevant? Uh, were they even enough of a population to matter? Is there even a story of, um, you know, aren't, they all, aren't you all new immigrants? Uh, in fact, of course, Chinese American immigration came in waves that um, even preceded um, or concurrent with Italian American and um, and German American immigration, which we now think of as old immigration. And so the question of were you even there, uh, you know, I think emphasizes that for Chinese Americans, the experience is often, you know, can be summed up in the, in the word exclusion. That's part of the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1886. Um, it's this question again, were you even there? And so for many, you know, for many, um, for many of us, I guess, you know, the, the task of Asian American art is a task of representation, um, is presenting ourselves once again. And by the way, that, that word representation is one that I called bankrupt a few weeks ago, I think in another, uh, no, this is earlier last week in another podcast. But, um, in this sense, in the sense of presenting, um, a history and a presence that was otherwise forgotten, erased, or excluded, um, asserting a voice in the conversation, I think is an important task of, um, these art, uh, these, these artistic narratives. And so, um, 
What I want to talk about is three ways that Sunny Lou's art in the shadow here contributes to this sense that I get from the shadow here that gave me, filled me with so much pride, um, you know, in very deep ways, as I'll as I'll talk about in a minute. But filled me with so much pride in in how the shadow hero creates the sense of representation. And I, I should say, as a you know asterisk from the top here, that we're I'm. I'm sort of presenting from my own perspective so none of what i say to follow is is you know i'm claiming that either uh, jean luan yang or sunny lu thought of things this way that they that this is necessarily an explicit um you know intention of theirs so much as my reading onto their work of um of what i see in it um and they're probably matters of mood and style more than i would say in its sort of like directed project i have no idea what went on in the scripts between um jean yang and sunny lu um what uh you know they decided between them about aspects of um the representation aspects of design aspects of um of comic storytelling but i do know that there are certain things that are characteristics of this book that i i i just read as um just a, almost a breath of relief for me uh, for reasons that i'll get into as i get into them um but uh that's kind of my my goal for today um and so, as I as I launch into it, I just want to say, uh, my, you know, just kind of express my appreciation for um, all of you for listening, uh, and also for um, Jean Yang and Sunny Liu having written this book that says that speaks to something that is, um, I don't know, uh, what what readers and fans like me, and and there may be a few of you out there have always longed for. If you are listening to this um, and you are sort of you don't identify as Asian American or Chinese American, maybe because you are um, Chinese in another place, uh, maybe because you are uh, not of Asian descent at all, uh, maybe because you are a white American um, or otherwise. I just uh, I hope that this is still relevant to you as a um, person interested in comic arts. There you go. I, I don't mean this to be an exclusive conversation. That would be uh, a dark irony. All right, so um, the first thing that I, I guess I want to point out begins with, um, and I'm going to kind of get into the details of the book. So I'm going to assume that you either have or have read the book. And if you haven't at this point, you want to stop and come back to it after you've gotten the book and read it. Um, again, what, what what are you doing? Why haven't you read The Shadow Hero? It's great. Um, published by First Second, as I said, in 2014. And the first chapter of the book um, has a, a really beautiful description of the sort of immigration background and experiences of um, the main character's mother. And, um, you know, a little bit about how she arrives in the country, a little bit about how she meets her husband, a little bit about how she then uh, gives birth to and raises her son, who um, who becomes the, the hero. Um, and uh, first of all, I think it's a, a, a cool thing that they focused on um, on the mother, because of the significance of her as a mother figure, um, Hank, who is her son, um, becomes the shadow hero. But to have the first chapter of a five chapter, I think five chapter, book um, really be all about the mother, um, I think is a tribute to um, the experience of immigration uh, really extending beyond uh, sort of the, the um, uh, male-centric narrative and um and into the experiences of a woman who um what i think i've heard gene yang talk about this mother uh, in this book being like many of the the, the aunties that um gene grew up around in church and I, I think there's um aspects of 
people that I know <laughs> um, in this character too. But the mother um, t tells a story of how when she's young, she arrives at America to America, you know, her head filled with dreams of, um, you know, matinee idols and, uh, and you know, sort of um, the, the impression of the, um, the uh, 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 land of opportunity that uh, movies filled her mind with and finding instead the um, gray, noisy and rude world of um the urban ghetto the um the urban immigrant ghetto and um she sort of uh, shows her growing up shows her um getting married it shows her in in some ways um having to settle uh this person who is full of ambitions and dreams having to settle and i think the fire and fury of those ambitions is really important because that winds up being the motivator and the driver for much of the action in the story by the end of the first issue She's the one who creates a, a, a costume, a superhero costume for Hank. Um, and the idea of her as a driver um, is so key. One of the things that Lou does artistically, and again, I don't know in the sort of um, balance of, of decision-making between he and, and Jean Luen Yang where this comes from or where this originates. I just know that um, on the page it, it um, comes across incredibly effectively, is that there are um, many units of... Um, panel interactions that are a matter of what I call minimal contrast, where there are two um, panels juxtaposed next to each other, where that um, you know are very very similar, uh, and really kind of separated only by small distinctions. But those small distinctions make all the difference, right? It's the um, it's the panel, for instance, uh, very early on that shows um, a, a sort of bright-eyed. Uh, little girl who's arriving in America, and the background is blank um, besides the color, which, you know, color is not insignificant here, but um, the the caption says, surely America would be a land of color and astonishment. And in fact, the next panel, um, <laughs> the same, uh, almost the exact same pose, except a strikingly different expression and a background of you know, a sort of grimy brick and, uh, and, and you know, maybe shut windows. And it says, mother was disappointed by what she found. Um, anytime you talk about uh, the, the transitions between panels, for me, you always raise uh, Scott McCloud's delineation of, you know, six different kinds of panel transitions. And then uh, the later work of Neil Cohn, um, so sort of visual... Uh, visual storytelling and um, visual interpretation work of Neil Cohn, which I think has really pushed us forward from that thinking that um, that Scott McCloud introduced, uh, pushed us forward that we don't look at just the relationship between panels. Um, we actually see the relationship with the panels in the context of entire page. And so when a, an artist like Lou is planning a page like this that I'm looking at right now that I'll probably post on the Tumblr so that somebody has a visual reference for what I'm talking about. There is the contrast between the two panels, but the two panels are embedded within a whole page where we have a sense of preview. You know, we have a sense where it is going. Even if we discipline ourselves to read panel by panel, um, we've, we've glimpsed the whole page. So it's part of the architecture of the entire page to have this subunit of two contrasting panels. But those two contrasting panels, as I said, were these minimum, minimal contrast units where... Um, Within the expected page logic, you know, the sort of Z formation of reading the left to right, um, top to bottom reading, there is a beat. And that beat, that little contrast, um, you know, is, is, is there to say a whole lot. Um, 
in, in these two panels that I was talking about, that I was describing, it's to say the difference between the hopes and the expectations of, um, of, the, the, um, of, of Hank's mother versus the reality of what she sees around her. And if you go sort of through the next few pages, there's actually again and again and again this two-panel contrast, two panels that look just like each other except for a major a minor difference that's a major difference, or sometimes it's a fairly major difference, but the pose is similar for good reason. Um, there's one panel where uh, it's started, it, it's uh, captioned, the disappointment broke mother's spirit. She resigned herself to whatever this new life brought her. And you see a picture of her with a sigh as a little girl. The next panel that contrasts is her with the same sigh, but older and standing next to the man that she has settled for as a husband. When her parents told her to marry the modestly successful grocer they'd found her, she obliged. Once more, same expression, sigh. And so there's a sense of the disappointment that mounts up over her life, over a lifetime from being a little girl with ambitions and, and expectations that are crushed to being then uh, a married woman with expectations that are crushed. <laughs> An experience that I'm sure my wife can relate to. <laughs> um, and again, uh, over and over, this, these panels where um, a young Hank is drinking beer and then reacting to, to beer, uh, whiskey, I should say. Uh, another panel where um, his father is tempted by, 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 by drink and then refuses it. And uh, the, the shadow in his background that is the representing the, um, the spirit sort of that, um, that has come over with him, uh, you know, sort of flares up. Um, all that, by the way, on pages sort of uh, six, seven, eight, nine in the in the book. Um, that minimal contrast unit sometimes even works in a in a sort of three. So there will be a left panel that is uh, longer uh, uh, vertically, and then two panels on the right that are sort of stacked top and bottom, and those are meant to contrast. Or it's the other way around. You know, two panels that are stacked, and then one, uh, and and so it's sort of the two contrast with the one, and then the two within each other contrast with each other. That kind of storytelling, uh, the, these panels are s super rectangular, <laughs> which means they're not like sort of any kind of skew, uh, strange, you know, angles or anything like that. But it's a storytelling that um, then sort of presents the story in these beats. And those beats um, do a lot of characterization work. I mean, there's a moment, for instance, in one of these kind of minimal contrast panels where... Um, <laughs> uh, Hank's mother watches the uh, woman that she works for walk away from the car as she holds one of these um, a little bun and then the next panel the, with the minimum contrast is her opening her mouth widely to devour the bun you know <laughs> sort of like watch the watch the boss leave immediately devour the the um the bun um, so it, you know there's a lot of sort of characterization that goes on but there's also something in it that in telling the story of this mother is showing that um, there's this constant attention in characters to um, very minute um, interactional changes or shifts uh, minute things that are actually not minute at all um, the you know and I think this is a form of comedy that um, if you look at the pacing uh, and the sort of panel to panel transitions of manga for instance um, Asian comics generally there's uh, there's a slightly different a, a slightly different um, temporal rhythm that they use it's part of the um, experience when uh, Western comics readers first start reading manga and it seems like the time jumps uh, so, you know some pages seem to describe the or, or narrate the um, the movement of seconds and the next page seems to jump uh you know from place to place or time to time in um kind of 
whiplash causing uh, speed. And I, I feel like that that whole aspect of um, beat, 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 um, which, yeah, of course it's there in Western comics. It's there in all kinds of comics. It's a tool that's used, you know, as far back as... Um, you know, crazy cat, you know, but that sort of moment beat, beat, beat kind of um, characterization that goes on um, is really important for telling the story of uh, telling the stories of characters that are meant to be revealed in the contrast of moments in the contrast of seconds. And, you know, for me to make a big hullabaloo about this, I think it's not insignificant uh, to me that when you tell the story of the honest perspective of an immigrant um, and the contrast say between her expectations uh, what she hopes for in a, um, in a you know in a land of opportunity and what she actually meets um, there's a time and attention that's devoted to Hank's mother's reactions and her responses and the things that she feels the um, constant sort of back and forth of this is something I want and hope for and this is something that I'm actually experiencing. The sense that um, in all these micro moments of the day there's a constant bounding back and forth between um, hope and expectation or desire and uh, ambition and, um, and, and reality and disappointment. That is a big part of the fabric of who she is. I would venture to say a big part, a big part of the fabric. I said fart. A big part of the fabric of the um, the experience of many immigrants, and and probably in some sense a big part of the fabric of of life universally. Um, but to pay attention to that in telling the story of Hank's mother, of Hank himself, of characters in this book, I think is a part of the project of excuse me, of representation. It's <clears throat> part of the way that you're paying attention to characters and their, their desires, their hopes, and their wishes in a way that um, features all of the ambiguity, all of the ambivalence that is true of a human being. And I think when I read this book, um, and it calls forth for me all of the affection of my mother, <laughs> the affection for how my mother, um, on one hand, pushes and... Um, you know, uh, uh, drives and um, in a in a sort of I hate this, but tiger fashion. You know, uh, wants for us uh, the the same drive and motivation that would compel somebody to um, leave a land of their comfort and familiarity and go to a place where their language is laughed at. That drive is in every sort of every minute heartbeat, and at the same time, it meets again and again with the every moment um, interactional reality that um, other people don't expect or treat you in the way that you um, may hope uh, or your experience may not live up to what you had thought. Um, that kind of existence, um, you know, makes me feel like the book honors um, Hank's mother and whatever, whoever Hank's mother might represent. Um, at the same time, it's it's actually great for laughs. It's great for laughs. It's great for um, humanizing the characters. It's great for their appeal. Uh, the second thing that I want to talk about is the action. Um, you know, what I was just talking about was something that's very characterization-based and very much part of the exposition of the story. Um, but an, another aspect of the book is that it's a superhero story. And um, I think um, Lou has mentioned in one of his interviews that 
Um, it's, you know, it's this work that he did on Shadow Hero that caught Paul Levitz's eye. They'd known each other before, but um, really convinced Paul Levitz that, you know, this, this, this kind of art was going to do some good stuff with superheroes, um, leading to the Dr. Fate run. That Actually, I just found out yesterday after recording that uh, episode about Dr. Fate that the book is ending at issue 18. So I'm going to pour one out for um, the end of Dr. Fate. Um, at least this run. I think the character will be back, but um, I'm hopeful. I don't know if there's any news or anything anything uh, announced yet, but uh, I'm hopeful that Sonny Lou will still be around um, some aspect of of um, main, mainstream superhero comics in America. Anyway, uh, <laughs> um, the action. The action that uh, you, you expect from a superhero story. And I think the second thing that I want to point out is how important it is that there's this coherence and a clarity of action. Um, I'm going to try to dance on two ideas at the same time. And one being that um, when Asian American characters or Asian characters in American media are depicted as shifty and magical and secretive and mysterious, there is a kind of... Um, well, there's something laden in that, um, and I, I guess I won't retrace. I'm tempted to. I have a book right in front of me here to <laughs> bookmark to cite, but I won't um, spend the time to retrace um, some of the implications of that. But I guess I'll, probably all I need to say is that um, we've had enough Wen Ho Lees. We have en we've had enough characters um, accused and assumed of being um, spies, um, of being uh, double-minded, of being tricky, and... Um, and I think one of the things that is um, uh, uh, maybe an important appeal of, well, I guess I'll put it this way, you know, hate being the fact that, you know, as a kid, I was sort of pigeonholed as if I exist, I, I know karate <laughs> um, because that's how we appeared in media uh, was Jackie Chan. And yet, as a kid, I also grew up loving Jackie Chan and Sammo Hung and, and all of those martial arts, um, uh, you know, crossover celebrities who um who I, what i took great pride in is that you'd watch a steven seagal movie and it'd be all kinds of um camera tricks and stuff like that that obscured the action um but for jackie chan to um not only have the kind of action that he had in in, in um, his films but to even have the outtakes where he made mistakes that were painful <laughs> uh, i loved seeing that as a kid and to me, it spoke something about the um, spirit of, of, um, of I don't know, the arts. Yeah, the arts <laughs> of that choreography to say there's nothing, uh, you know, if there's some kind of rigging, <laughs> we'll show it to you. Uh, if there's some kind of um, trick, we will uh, make it absolutely visible. There's no sleight of hand here. This is just um, raw and acrobatic effort. Um, it's it's clean. It's clear. Um, and I think to me that was a note that sounded against this idea, this suspicion that, uh, I don't know, would compel the, the time that I went into an art store. And, and for some reason, the, the owner of that art store felt, um, felt it necessary to kick me out of the store <laughs> because he suspected that I was there to shoplift or something like that. The, the, the sort of um, sneaky and underhanded um, I don't know, kind of um, subterranean stereotype of, um, of at least Chinese people. Um, and, uh, and, and I think against that stereotype, um, the clarity and the coherence of saying, this is what I'm doing as action, 
um, is is something that uh, is is a is a is a kind of mini counter narrative. Um, to come back to to Shadow Hero, I think one of the things that I love about this book is how clean and clear the action felt. Um, you know, to, I could do an, an analysis um, like uh, like um, my guy Hassan at Strip Panel Naked. Uh, it's great. YouTube channel, by the way, if you haven't seen that, he does these analyses of, I said my guy, we're not friends. <laughs> He's just seemed like a very cool guy. But he does these great analyses of like vector lines and comics and sight lines and how the um, artist cre- leads the flow of the eye. Something that makes me feel like I should, you know, do a, I shouldn't talk about comics without having a YouTube channel. Um, this podcasting thing is ridiculous. But <laughs> um, you can take a, a page uh, of the action um, uh, just to, pull out a random example you know that the very end of the book when um hank the the um the shadow hero the 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 green turtle is fighting in the sort of climactic battle there's a page where um there's sort of three strikes there's um uh 10 grand is it 10 grand i forget uh anyway the the villain uh swiping at him he responds with a sort of crack to his face and then a crack a, a sort of Right, right hook, left cross. Um, all of that impact, all of the places where there, where it says slash crack crack, happens right in the center of the panel, and yet there's this trajectory in motion uh, for each that whether it's a right hand or a left hand, uh, and whether the punch goes this way or that, that leads the eye to the next um, to the next panel, and I think it's a very um, you know, leads the eye to the next panel, but also contrasts, goes against the eye, so that when your eye is going right, the the punch is going left, and it sort of pushes you back into the action of the page at the at the bottom panel, very much pushing you along the Z, uh, is is one way I like to put it, the Z of our expected reading pattern of um, left to right and top to bottom. Uh, all of that kind of um, careful vector design is part of the uh, action. Another, another part of the action is that, as I said earlier, that there's very clear rectangles in the exposition um, pages where you're telling the backstory. When you get to some of the action scenes, there's a much more dynamic panel um, construction where sometimes there's, uh, hor- uh, you know, um, uh, slanted lines. Sometimes there's even this sort of cool wheel pattern, um, and all of that uh, horizontal lines. Looking, for instance, at the page where um, he's being, uh, Hank is being chased, and meanwhile the um, turtle spirit is speaking to him. And he's running this way and that, and evading ten grand. Uh, and the 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 panel construction gets um, a little slanted, and um, and it sort of propels you this way and that, back and forth along the page, as if you know, you were a pinball moving along the page, along these slanted lines. And um, all of that great clarity of action um, reminds, uh, reminds me that um, actually, you know, not to be um, undersold, the, 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 the superpower that um, the green turtle winds up having is the power to evade uh, a bullet, you know, the power to evade being shot. And I think that evasion is so interesting. I said the word evasion earlier because, um, you know, if you're the, one of the responses to uh, to the the feeling of of exclusion and erasure is that you want to be able to assert, but you don't want to assert in a way that then it becomes pinned on you that you're devious or that you're somehow. Um, uh, uh, and vengeful. <laughs> we don't need another uh, uh, Asian character who is um, 
after revenge, stroking his long uh, beard and um, with his long fingers, plotting a um, insidious scheme. We don't need any more of those characters. Those populated the comics pages of the quote unquote golden age already enough. And so instead, a character who has the the will and the strength to stand up and assert themselves, but to not assert themselves in a manner that is um, aggressive or um, or you know, trying to take the life of the other. Um, this is to pull in something sort of a field, but I remember how much it appealed to me to um, to learn about Aikido, the martial art that was all about using the energy of your attacker against them, uh, where you did you had to do very little punching of your own, uh, but but rather to channel the the um, energy of the punch as it's coming towards you and use that to um, well to disarm. And I think there's something in um, Hank, in the, his reaction, in his powers, you know, that there's a certain power fantasy there. It's a power fantasy of, of not striving and then somehow becoming invincible, but, but you know, not sort of this powerful exterior that bullets bounce off my chest, but actually this sort of um, lithe and quick and canny evasion that um, allows you to stand up for yourself, but does not um, become its own form of aggressiveness. I think there's something in there that is, um, yeah, that again, you know, I don't know how much this is intentional on, on um, Yang and Lu's part, but that is a matter, again, of mood and style that, um, to me, spoke to how um, how the, the, the Asian stereotype, the Chinese stereotype, uh, would, would cast a... a, a um, a person with with superpowers and how you would want instead to say this is something different to 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 address with clarity with coherence uh finally this last point and i realize i'm getting really long-winded here um is i appreciate about lose art something um of a, a kind of reassertion of physiognomy uh, something about his art that's, you know, true of a lot of comics art, but um, very true of Sonny Liu is is how much, um, I guess I won't say like face forward the comic is, that um, in many places, the um, as I, uh, maybe when Sonny Liu is drawing um, drawing uh, his, his um, thumbnails, you know, sort of sketching out the pages, I wonder if he draws where the face and how the face looks uh, first before he draws anything else because the faces are always um, very prominent in every panel and I think that is of course very true in general of a lot of comics art but um, maybe if you if you could do some calculation of number of panels where you can see the entire face you might get a higher figure um, this is totally conjectural you might get a higher figure from um, something like the shadow here contrasted to say uh, I don't know take whatever other um, superhero comics artist to be as face forward as um, Sonny Lou is, and then in the characters to have a really a range of physiognomy. I mean, this is something that I think you, they're conscious of. Um, on in the beginning of chapter five, there's a these postcards that um, show coolie hat rock, and there's the the caricature of the um, Asian or the Chinese face that uh, you know depicted in so many cartoons, and really was part of Gene Yang's American Born Chinese as the character Chinky and stuff. Um, I even remember, uh, you know, during the um, Japanese American internment camps, there was this diagram <laughs> how you can tell the difference between a, a Chinese and a Japanese um, by the, the features, their facial features, their physiognomy. Um, 
you know, the sort of exaggeration of what our faces look like, how, you know, um, how our nostrils are set, what shape our eyes are, um, what our cheekbones are like. Um, it's been a part of, of I don't know, other othering, uh, stereotyping uh, Asian people um, in, in, in imagery, um, including in comics imagery. Um, no small part of that. Uh, I think Chu Hing not showing the face of, um, uh, again, of, of, of the green turtle is a really fascinating act of evasion. Um, I, I guess it's not, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how many people grow up with this, but I, I, I think I, I have always had a certain amount of, of the experience, the jarring experience of, you know, like when I was a kid, I would spend a lot of time um, watching movies and uh, looking at, magazines and looking at celebrities um you know checking out cool hairstyles by uh snoop dogg or <laughs> or uh matt damon or somebody and then uh reaching a mirror and and looking at my own face and thinking that um oh yeah i don't look like that <laughs> and, uh, and my 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 facial features are different uh these glasses seem to be designed for somebody else because they keep sliding off of my nose because i don't have much of a bridge um, and um, and so you know depictions of physiognomy um, uh, matter and I again I don't know that there's any conversation between Yang and Lu about this but I do think that there's part of it's part of Lu's style and part of the statement of the book that characters aren't continually enshrouded in shadow um, there is like I talked about a little bit in um, in the last podcast about um, sense and sensibility there's a certain amount of caricature that um is featured in in every face um white chinese uh, whatever um, yellow face and um the the physiognomy is exaggerated on every count but it's not hidden uh, it's face forward it's sort of a, a reassertion of saying you know these are what our faces look like they are various they are um they are individual and their characteristics speak and and their expressions and their moldability speak to something about their personhood and their personality um to assert that to reassert that is again to be present as a human and as an individual with um the, its own their own inherent tensions and you know every character in this book uh has their own kind of ambivalences um has something to cheer for and and maybe something to to be a little embarrassed about, um, and I think that's part of the story, a no small part of the story. Yeah, so at the risk of releasing to the world this um, probably totally inarticulate um, podcast where every day I take the risk of embarking with no preparation and, uh, and very little planning, I have to go and uh, take care of my family and my dissertation writing. So that, um, I think I'll draw this to a close. Thank you for listening. Um, and uh, yeah, I encourage you to um, pick up The Art of Charlie Chan Hock Chai. We'll talk about that tomorrow um, and to read along. And uh, thank you for um, engaging with me. You can find me at Tuply on Twitter and uh, or email at tuply at gmail.com. Um, and I hope that you will keep reading and keep participating in this one-way conversation <laughs> that is the Paulist. All right. Bye.